0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, uh, the book of 1 Samuel, and we're in chapter 31. Can you believe it? I I can't stand it when I'm in like conferences or meetings or, you know, occasionally when I'm out there where you all are and, uh, you know, pastors and other people make make you do this. But turn to the person to your right or your left and say, we made it. Do it. it. We made it. We made it. All right. Back a long, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, in February, we started this series through the book of First Samuel, um, when, and we have made it to the end of First Samuel. This book that's, uh, I guess, the ninth book in the Bible. There, if you don't have a Bible handy, there's one, or should be one, at the end of the the pew, and uh, and we we have we have come a long way, right? We've uh, we've seen some things and I'll remind you again of a method to our our madness. I know for some that are maybe here regularly, you've heard a little bit of this uh, rationale before. Uh, Love. Of course, uh, on, on times and in certain specific instances to, to hear topical sermons and even to do, you know, a topical series. If there's you know, something particularly pertinent that we need to, to know about, those can be really, really helpful. But in general, uh, the way we've approached our preaching, at least at, at our church family here at Cross Creek Church, is to work our way through a book of the Bible. Now, that's, that's it's more difficult. It's a little bit more tedious. We're not going to you know, sugarcoat that. It's a little bit more uh, challenging to do that. But hopefully week in week out instead of just sort of getting a smattering of passages from here and there in the scriptures that may, we may or may not understand how are connected to a general theme. And we're not even maybe sure that we're interpreting correctly as we work through a a book of scripture. We're seeing the passages in their context. We're being grounded more deeply in them, ultimately more fruitful for our lives uh, spiritually. There's other ways to do it, but that's just uh, that's just some of the benefits of of pursuing this. And so we we should encourage one another because it's a little bit more difficult thing that we're doing week in and week out. It's a little it's a little less user friendly. But we're trying to do it for a purpose and for a reason. Uh, The other thing that it does for us, and I know I've mentioned this before as well, is is it helps you and it helps me in ways you might not even notice on a week to week basis. It helps you all because uh, obviously I'm still putting together the sermons. But as we work through a passage of scripture, it kind of keeps me from just cherry picking The the themes or the topics that I just like to talk about or whoever's up here preaching just likes to focus on. And and they may even be good things, helpful things. But we need the whole scope of Scripture, not just one person's opinion even about what needs to be focused on in Scripture. So it it kind of forces, you know, that way to help you all and, and not just be hearing me on a soapbox each week. And it also helps me. Believe it or not, us uh, preachers, pastors, uh, we value the approval of people. We sometimes worship it. And what that means is that while we have this calling to proclaim the word of God and we know that's true and that's important, we sometimes pull back if we're not forced over that line. And working through the chapters of Scripture forces me to do my job better, hopefully In helping you all to really understand the full scope of the word of God in that way and me not being afraid to proclaim and preach what needs to be preached, even if it's not a catchy topic or the latest thing that we feel like we need to hear about. Right. As we work through the books of Scripture, that helps us. So that's what we've been doing. And uh, hoorah, we have made it to the end of first Samuel. Uh, the last couple of chapters, let me get us up to speed at summertime. Some of us have been in and out and so forth. We certainly have uh, folks visiting with us and new to our church family in the last couple of weeks as well. First uh, Samuel, this book uh, where Saul is raised up as king. Samuel's this uh, last judge, first prophet, who's proclaiming the word of God to the kings. And we're reminded that their rule and their leadership should be rooted in the, the truth and the word of God. And we see that Saul uh, doesn't do so well. He really stumbles. He's a prideful person in the sense that he's self-sufficient. He's actually very fearful. And he's worried greatly about the approval of people. And so he doesn't lead the way that he... He really should. And uh, David is then raised up as this next king that's coming, but he's not yet in the position. Saul still has the position of being king instead of celebrating, uh, instead of Saul celebrating what David does and the mighty acts that he performs to help Saul. Saul actually becomes jealous of him. They enter into a huge uh, conflict, essentially, where David's on the run. The last 10 chapters of 1 Samuel is all about that. Chapter 27, it gets so extreme. That David actually goes across into enemy territory. He's now living with uh, Achish uh, in, in this area near Gath, the king of the Philistines. So he's kind of living among the Philistines. They think he's helping them going out and fighting against Israel. In fact, he's secretively, covertly going and defeating other enemies of You know, God's people, but all of this comes to a head then in chapter uh, 28, 27, 29, 30, when uh, David is then uh, asked to come, insisted upon to come and fight with King Achish against his own people, against the Hebrew people. God intervenes and is able to send David uh, back while he's gone, though. His people have been hauled off from this city near Gath that they've been living in. Uh, God, uh, David inquires of God and those people are rescued. God works and David's even able to bless others. Meanwhile, we see sort of parallel to this story. Saul continuing to unravel to the point of where he goes. And instead of inquiring of God, there's a huge contrast here. Chapter twenty eight, he inquires of a of a medium. He chooses some other sort of spiritual pathway and, and actually does in some sense apparently make contact with the dead with Samuel, this prophet who has passed away, and Saul is inquiring that way. David is not perfect, but he is inquiring of the Lord, and we see this contrast and really a sad place. Unfortunately, the last chapter of first Samuel is sad in what what happens. But ultimately is going to point us to the glorious things that the Lord has done for us. So I invite you to uh, read along with me as uh, as I read aloud. And I'm going to read just the first seven verses of 1 Samuel 31. And we'll see what now happens as the Philistines, without David fighting with them, just by themselves, have closed in on Saul and uh, David's dear friend, Jonathan, Saul's son. And then we'll actually read a verse or two from Second Samuel, chapter one, which is just a page over for you. So let me read this aloud and you read along with me silently. Now, the Philistines fought against Israel and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Mount The sons of Saul, the battle pressed hard against Saul and the archers found him. He's badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it. Lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus, Saul died and his three sons, his armor bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. Turn with me over to Second Samuel, chapter one. Starting at verse 17, this is telling us when David gets the news of this. And I think it's important for context to see his response. Verse 17, Second Samuel, chapter one. And David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And said, it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it's written in the book of Jashar. He said, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exalt. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back. The sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Let's pray again. A oh, Father. We ask that you would direct our time now in your word. Help us to understand and learn good things from it, that we might be strengthened in our walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of us are probably familiar, at least in a general sense, from history of the Battle of Little Bighorn. Also known, probably more familiarly known as Custer's Last Stand, taking place really just 140 or so years ago, 1876. Hard to believe. Seemed like those things are even further back in the back, but it's really only been... That long, this was part of the uh, the the great Sioux War of that year, of course, between the U.S. uh, military and some of the Native Americans who were uh, fighting back the Lakota, the northern Cheyenne and the Arapaho uh, were led. Uh, By several key leaders, one was Crazy Horse that we might be familiar with. And then behind the scenes was this uh, this older uh, Indian chief sitting bull who wasn't directly involved in the conflict, but was kind of involved in leading it. Uh, If we know anything about the fight, we know that it's been analyzed and microanalyzed and looked at and studied from all sorts of directions because it's kind of like a textbook case in the case of Custer of somebody who really didn't inquire very carefully about the situation he was in. Who wasn't willing to kind of seek help from the places he could get help from. And who only trusted in himself and his ability. And the story, of course, we know is tragic. I, I had forgotten the actual details. There were 700 men that were in the 7th Cavalry, led by Custer. Five of the 12 uh, divisions in uh, that uh, the companies in that division were completely annihilated. And then I never I never knew this. But it's interesting in light of our passage today that along with that, Custer, of course, was killed. So were two of his brothers, a nephew and a brother in law. It was a family affair. It was a family tragedy as well. And so I thought about it in light of our passage today, of course, many centuries earlier and with more significant and profound spiritual meanings, the incident with Saul. His son, his family, his life being taken, those dear to him and Israel being impacted. And you don't have a main idea, I don't think, this week in your sermon notes section. But there is a page at the end of the worship guide if you want to turn there and and just jot down this main idea that when we fail to inquire of the Lord and trust the Lord, we risk facing God's hand of discipline. When we fail to inquire of the Lord and trust in the Lord, we risk facing God's hand of discipline. We saw last week the beautiful reality that happens for David when he does inquire of the Lord, when he asks God, you know, lead me, direct me, and then God brings blessing and he's able to actually be a blessing to others. In the case of Saul, we see how his propensity to to not turn to the Lord to not depend on him is, is coming to this horrible culmination. To where not only does he sort of finally pay the ultimate price for his misdirections and sins, but his own, his own family does, his own sons. Even those that David cared so much about, like Jonathan, his dear friend. And then the people of Israel as well, we see, are scattered. And the Philistines come in and kind of take over their area. Okay, You see the contrast here? I mean, David's living in a city of the Philistines with their permission The Philistines are taking over Saul's territory. The consequences are coming to fruition. Well, let's take a look at at what's happening here. See if we can draw some concluding thoughts for us, kind of from the whole scope of 1 Samuel, but also from this passage. The first thing, and you can jot this down, too, if you want to, is that we really see a prophetic fulfillment taking place here. You can turn back with me to First Samuel chapter 15 if you want to. This is kind of the first major misstep that uh, Saul makes, where we uh, see that he values the opinion of man and he values his own perspective over this expressly given commandment of God. He thinks his way is going to work out better, and and so forth. We see it back in First Samuel chapter 15. If you want to start, you can read along with me, uh, beginning in verse 17 says in Samuel, this is after all of this has been revealed that, that uh, Saul was supposed to go in and kill all the Amalekites, wipe them out. But he hasn't done it. And now Samuel shows up on the scene. Again, he's, he's a prophet. So he's going to confront Saul with where his actions don't line up with God's word. Samuel said in verse 17, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? You, you've got a job to do. You're very important, even though you might think lowly of yourself, Saul, you've got this job to do and you didn't do it. The Lord anointed you king over Israel. The Lord sent you on a mission, said, go devote to destruction, you know, wipe all of this stuff out. He says, Saul said to Samuel, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. So we see that struggle we all have. Right. We we need God's word because we think we're doing the right thing so often. And unless we have some outside standard guideline direction to tell us what's right and true, we don't know. Saul thinks he's doing the right thing, but he he hasn't done it at all. It goes on in verse 22 and Samuel says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Remember, Saul's chief error here was he felt like, you know, rather than submit to God and do exactly what God says and follow his commands, I'll do my own thing, but I'll give some of it back. I'll, I'll sacrifice it in some way. So I'll put it to some good use to help the people, to make an offering at church, whatever. And that'll make it OK. And, and here you have Samuel saying, no, I'd, I'd rather, God would rather we just walk with him, just obey him, than try to manipulate and barter with him. It goes on, Samuel, again, Saul sort of confesses that he sinned. So now he does realize that he's done something wrong. We see this problem, you know, Saul's got this problem where he, he, uh, like a a lot of us, myself included, where he kind of says he gets it, but he he doesn't really get it. He doesn't really repent. And then looking with me uh, down at verse 26, Samuel said to Saul, uh, Saul's asking him to come back. You know, hey, come get back on my team. And Samuel says, I will not return with you, for you've rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned to go away and Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day as it, and it was given to a neighbor of yours who's better than you. And then this last verse and also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret for he's not a man that he should have regret. These things are coming to fruition, aren't they? And then if we look at uh, chapter 28, one more passage to see this prophetic fulfillment, how all of this is playing out in, in certainly a very sad way. But but we, we've got a, a point here to draw from this for sure. So starting at verse 16 of chapter 28 of First Samuel, turn over there. OK, this is again uh, to give you context. Saul's consulted this medium. And he's actually somehow contacted Samuel, who is dead, but still speaking to him and listen to what Samuel says. So the mediums were illegal, were not in line with God's plan. And in fact, Saul had made them, you know, illegal in the land. That's not the way God would have us do things and seek him. And yet here Saul is going to a medium. He's showing himself to be rather hypocritical. Samuel says this. Why then do you ask me what to do? Since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy, the Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has turned the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor because you did not obey the voice of the Lord. And then jumping down to verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. Tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. Prophetic fulfillment, right? So we see that in a sort of microcosm way in these verses, and here's the main point that I want us to take from it: is is to ask ourselves that question: How do we view the promises, both blessings and cursings, that God offers to us? How do we view them? They're playing out in First Samuel. The things God said would happen, they are happening, and the same is true for us today, folks. Both the good things the things that we uh, certainly love to dwell on probably more, the the fact that Christ loves us and God loves us far more in Christ than we could ever have dreamed, that that He forgives us, that we have the hope of eternal life, those things we know are going to be true because God's Word is fulfilled. And guess what? The more difficult things are too. The danger, the repercussions of turning away from and ignoring God's commands, those are going to land. Some way or another. The fact that God judges over all of us and over all the nations. That's going to happen. That is happening. That's playing out. And the reality that those who don't know Christ, don't receive him, don't receive his forgiveness, will be separated from God for eternity. That's going to play out, too. So the good things that God says are going to happen are going to happen. And the the sad things. The difficult things are as well. Do we believe that today? Do we believe that the word of God is actually directing reality more than anything else that's going on? That it has that kind of power and authority. Second thing we see is tied to this. And that is not only the, that God's word prevails, but God's will prevails. Right? God's will is going to to happen here with Saul. Remember all that time of David running and hiding in little mountain caves and sneaking in and showing Saul that he's really not trying to kill him and spears flying at him and so forth. And you say, there's no way this is going to work out for David. Saul's got the power. Saul's got the authority. He's in control. David's on the run. Now David's over in the Philistine territory. Now he's being asked to fight with the Philistines. Surely this isn't going to work out. He's going to get stuck eventually. And yet, God is prevailing. He's prevailing both for good and blessing again, and also in the matters of cursing. And, folks, this is true for us today. This is true for us today. There are a lot of broken things in our world. I just prayed through some of them, just a couple of them a minute ago. There's a lot of others that we could put on the list. There's a lot of broken things in our lives and difficult things in our lives. Guess what? The scriptures remind us time and time again that even in those challenging places, God's working out his plan. He is fulfilling his plans and purposes. For Saul, it ended pretty doggone bad. For uh, David, we saw just a chapter earlier. God's working out situations totally out of his control to actually bless him and bless other people that had helped him. God's directing those things and God's going to bring those things to bear. And we need to just be reminded this doesn't let us off the hook. This doesn't mean we shouldn't work for justice. It doesn't mean we shouldn't work for the kingdom. It doesn't mean we shouldn't share our faith. It doesn't mean we get passive and fatalistic. It just means that we know and we have the comfort as believers in Christ of knowing God's ultimately in control over all things. He is. He is. Last thing we see. And I really found it kind of fascinating. That's why I had us turn over to Second Samuel. I couldn't remember, honestly, exactly how that Second Samuel began, you know, but the divisions are kind of artificial. They've been put in there over the centuries. It's all really one book, first and Second, Second Samuel. But uh, did you see what, what, happened, what David's response was? Did you notice anything in Second Samuel chapter one about it? He loves Jonathan, right? The two of them were friends. Jonathan stood with him. We can understand him being upset, tearing his clothes, writing a lament for Jonathan. But who else is he writing about? Did you all notice it? About Saul. He still cares about Saul. Isn't that amazing? He's still got a heart for what's happening with Saul. And what that means for Israel, for God's people, he cares so deeply about that. He's, his, his, his heart is not perfect, but his His heart is being more and more wrapped up in the things of God. And, and he recognizes the sadness of this, that all this would happen to Saul and to Jonathan. And he even acknowledges the good things that he did. You know, Saul made a mess of a lot of things, but he he was fighting at the end, he says. You know, he, he was battling and it goes on. I didn't have a chance to read it, but he. He says, you know, he blessed the people. They they enjoyed some blessing because of his rule. And it just reminded me again, and maybe a lot of the things that are in the news and on our hearts are, are on my heart as well. But that uh, that we're reminded to pray for those who are in authority over us and that God puts those people in place. Even as Saul is dying, even Saul tried to hunt down David. David's able to somehow see what I find really difficult to see, and that is. That God still was bringing this about. And so I can still honor and respect who Saul was. And what Saul was supposed to do, even if he didn't do all of it. Reminds me of Romans uh, 13. Perhaps uh, you all are familiar with it. You don't need to turn there. But where it says this, it says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. It goes on later and says, hey, pay taxes to whomever you pay taxes, respect to whomever respect is owed, honor to whomever honor is owed. All right? We know throughout the scriptures that as believers, uh, we take a stand. And when the laws of the land don't line up with the laws of God's kingdom, then, then we take a stand separately from that. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. Great. Explanation of all of that, how there are laws that people make sometimes and where they don't line up with human laws. We we dismiss, you know, we dismiss them um, the laws that God makes and where human laws don't line up with that. We we dismiss those and we hold to God's law. But in most things, as with David, at the end of Saul's rule, we, we honor, we give respect. We recognize those authorities have been put there. For our good. And we pray for them. It reminds us in First Timothy to pray for those who are in authority over us. Well, those are just a couple of final takeaways. And then one one last one that I'll leave with us for today. You know, Saul was supposed to be this great solution. He was supposed to be this great leader. He was supposed to be this great hope for Israel. David, who comes after him, is certainly an improvement in a lot of ways, but he's far from perfect as well. And as such, all of them, as we've said throughout First Samuel, looking at this theme, who is king, ultimately point forward to another king. It was interesting. I uh, watched recently with my boys, uh, Patience and I did my wife, Patience, with our four boys, that movie, The End of the Spear. I don't know if you all have ever seen it, but it's about the missionaries, uh, Jim Elliot, Nate Saint and uh, three others and their wives and so forth. Go down to Ecuador in the 1950s, seeking to share the gospel with the uh uh, Wadani a tribe who were violent, a tribe really unreached by any outside folks with the gospel message. If you're familiar with the story, uh, five of the men, including Saint and Elliot, land on a riverbed. They think they've made some amenable contact and can begin to relate to and share with the Wadani's. And it ends up in their death. The Wadani's interpret them as enemies and kill them. As the story goes on, you know, that. Uh, the the saints, uh, Rebecca Saint and Elizabeth Elliot and so forth. They go and live with the Wadani. the same people that killed their husbands their family members and share the gospel with them. And God does a a tremendous work. And, you know, the, the movie had the movie had a few mixed results in the Peters household. The initial reaction was a lot of spear making, a lot of bows and arrows, hatchets. So I'm not sure we got the whole gospel message through there, but we're getting part of it. And uh, and so we got that. But uh, but at the end of the movie there's this powerful scene. And and I guess that's uh, accurate to Nate uh, Saint's son, Stevie Saint uh, goes back. So his father was killed by the by these folks. And Mikayane is one of the uh, natives, one of the Wadanis who who actually speared Steve Saint's father. So he was his father's murderer. But they had lived with one another for you know, years in this Ecuador village. And they did not know that. Uh, Micaione had never really confessed it. And there's this powerful scene where he confesses. And he says to Steve, Saint, he says, I took their adults now. Of course, he says, I took your 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 father's life. I took it. And Steve Saint says powerfully, nobody took my father's life. He gave his life. And it made me think as I watched the end of that scene about Saul Falling on his sword. The Philistines took his life, right? And how Jesus, king of kings, lord of lords, gives his life for you and for me. Takes a spear in the side for you and for me. How he as the king of kings rules with perfect justice. And he not only inquires of the Lord Himself and seeks the Lord's will Himself, but he intercedes for you and me throughout all time. What a blessing to have that King of Kings, that Lord of Lords, at work in our lives. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for the kings that came before. We thank you for, for the work of Samuel as that prophet and for Saul and for David, the things that we've learned about them in the last number of months and the way that uh, your word and the individual passages and chapters has really ministered to us and given us eyes to see good things about you, challenged us to maybe change some things about what we believe, about what we say, about what we do. And all of these things, we've been greatly encouraged by your word. And even this morning, Lord, we pray that uh, you would show us, uh, teach us that the things that you say are coming to pass. The will that you have will uh, be manifest. And Lord, that, that gives us great peace and even allows us to give honor Uh, Give respect to those who lead and maybe even lead in ways that that we know aren't perfect, because we know, Lord, that you ultimately are super superintending all things Lord, we pray that you would uh, raise up and take down as you desire in those that uh, would lead over us in different areas, just as we see in the scriptures. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to uh, act for the things of your kingdom and walk in step with you Lord, that we'd be people that would inquire of you and seek to follow your direction. Lord, in all these matters and many more that we've studied and learned about, we pray that uh, you would be our Lord and our God, our Redeemer and our Rescuer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.